In the 19th century, hysteria was diagnosed as a physical illness in women. In the 20th century, it shifted into being a mental illness. Yet, even today, many women who have had no diagnosis of mental illness could be called hysterical. How do we break down the narrative we hold in our brain and be better in our interactions? What can we do to challenge the patriarchal status quo assumptions that most of us make, whatever our gender? This is Between Us, Stories of Unconscious Bias. I am Smitha Tharoor. Welcome. I'd like to introduce Q. Q is a Sri Lankan-based singer and songwriter who has been performing since she was six. After honing her skills at the National Youth Jazz Orchestra in the UK and singing at the Barbican Theatre, Q released her debut EP, Hysteria, in April 2021. Blending alt R&B with lyrics on female sexuality and independence, Rolling Stone India described it as everything you want to hear in music of empowerment. And if that's not enough, Q is also a model, and she has modeled for fashion brands and has appeared in magazines like L'Officiel Italia and Cosmopolitan Sri Lanka. You think that's enough? There's one more I want to add. Q has most recently also acted, or featured as a phrase she uses, in Deepa Mehta's film set in Sri Lanka called Funny Boy. I've seen the film and I've seen Q in the film. So I'm really thrilled that you've joined me today to share your stories of unconscious bias, Q. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's like an honor to be on this podcast. Also, can I just mention your voice is so sonorous. I love it. <laughs> I love <laughs> listening to it. From a singer, that's a great compliment. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's so weird because I think like my speaking voice and my singing voice are so two different things entirely. Uh, I have like such a vocal fry, I think, when I talk, but when I'm on and when I'm singing, it's a completely, it's a different beast. Isn't that <laughs> interesting? That yeah. voices in itself, you know, you can change. I mean, I can't sing. So I wouldn't know. I mean, if I sing, I think I'd probably really sound like a beast, not a human being. (laughs) Well, you know, fun fact is a lot of people think that they actually can't sing, but everybody has a singing voice. It's just it's just another muscle that kind of needs training and exercising. So I'm sure you're right. right. But let's talk about unconscious bias. So what do you understand by these two words, unconscious bias? Right. So I've got my I've got my uh, my notebook here and I made like a couple of notes. So for me, unconscious bias is probably the most subtle, but the most pervasive form of prejudice that you will sort of, well, that people sort of maybe go through like today. And it's based on perhaps on an underlying attitude or assumption. And it definitely happens without you realizing. And I I don't think a lot of people are aware of it either, which is why, you know, institutes like yours or even podcasts like this really bring it to the forefront and people can suddenly twig, oh, right, maybe that's what's happening in my brain. And I think unconscious bias is is used is an umbrella term. Uh, people may assume that okay, you're referring specifically just to race when we're talking about unconscious bias, but I think it, it, it extends to much more than that. It can be assumptions based on your body, your job, your hair, your class, your gender, whatever it may be. So yes, you're absolutely right, and it can be even more than those uh, those big differences that you that you suggested. It could even be something as simple as 
uh, uh, I love peanut butter for breakfast. And, <laughs> and it's so implicit in my in my in the way I react to something that if anybody talks peanut butter, you you just react to it in a positive fashion. I know that sounds really simplistic. No, but there no, are no. there are likes and dislikes so deeply embedded within us, um, even in relation to food. So, you know, someone who's never had peanut butter for breakfast might say. What really? I mean, Q, come on, peanut butter. That doesn't make any sense because it's against their norm. Um, exactly. Whatever norm might be, whatever normal behavioral patterns might be, and therefore it's challenged when one says somebody says something that is doesn't fit in with what is normal to me. But then, what does that look like for you, Q? I mean, you know, you have so many unusual and interesting experiences. You're an actor. You're a model, and of course, most well known. For, for being a, a singer-songwriter. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about your stories of unconscious bias. Oh, I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of unconscious bias stories have also got gravitated towards my modeling career as well as acting, because a lot of prejudice does seem to go on in that industry specifically, and I would say in Asia, where the the ideal, I guess, model or actress or whoever is quite fair-skinned, quite um, with long, like sort of flowing locks, really, not curly hair whatsoever, uh, not very dark brown skin. So I feel my sort of story, but I guess unconscious bias kind of began when I was 16 and a, a white um, director, a white, sorry, white male director sort of spotted me and he was like, would you like to come audition for this um, advertisement that I'm directing? And I said, yeah, of course. Uh, and I got the part, but it was only about two weeks later that I that I overheard, or rather just it twigged, that um, the advertising agency didn't particularly want me uh, because they immediately, so when they saw like, my sort of model card and the audition video, they were like, mm, not sure she's very representative of this brand or this, this yeah, this person's character because I think what they wanted was a fair, a lighter skin model, somebody who had longer hair, somebody who was quite thin. I, you know, at that time I was 16 and I was, you know, going through puberty. So I'm like, my, I had a lot of curly hair, you know, it's slightly chubby, um, uh, very dark brown because I was still in school. So obviously like I'm out, out and about all the time. But I think it's that sort of mentality that these stories can't happen for, dark brown girls and girls with curly hair. These stories are only delegated to one type of woman. But, so, then, but then I'm just trying to understand. So what was that like in terms of your own unconscious biases? Um, because you went for the modeling assignment yeah. when, when you were invited. So did you go with the confidence that it didn't matter what you looked like and and you might you might get the gig in in terms of modeling, or were you questioning the way you looked at you looked because you are darker skinned than what the percept you know the perception is of what a model should look like in Sri Lanka? Yeah, it's really fascinating. I've grown up in a in a really wonderful household where it just wasn't a thing to question you know what you look like or, you know, how you appear. You know, my parents were always very supportive and very generous and encouraging. So it didn't really occur to me like problems like this were, 
you know, it, a thing, you know, I was just like, oh, it's an audition. I, I, I'm, I'm truly like auditioning was for on like the merit of like, you know, my acting ability. And, you know, it, of course it is an advertisement. So a lot of it is about how you look, but I didn't, I didn't, it never crossed my mind that this would be sort of a problem. And then it took me back to like an entirely different story, which happened when I was like seven. And it's, it's not my personal story, but um, one of the first things that I ever auditioned for was Deepa Mehta's Water, um, which was shot in Sri Lanka, but it's a, obviously an Indian story. It's about widows in India. And the, the, the protagonist is she's a child widow. She goes and lives in the house of all these widows after her husband has died. And the main widow is very fair, very light-skinned and she's she pimped out actually um to to the men um so that the widow house can gain money and it causes a lot of resentment in the household because she is fair-skinned um and she is the one sort of making money for the entire household and suddenly i was connecting the dots like as a child you're you're not really paying that much attention to it but then with this sort of story that kind of came up when i was like 16 years old i was like oh right we do have a problem with colorism and you know funny enough the advertising agency is made up of all sri lankans really and it was the white male british director who was the one who was championing me and was like trying to push me for this role and he was like no no i want her specifically and it it, it just it made me think like we are actually our own worst enemy sometimes uh, Sri Lankans because the mentality has been so ingrained in our heads now we can't actually get out of um, this like this confine around us all the confines around us and the borders and the structures uh, it's getting much better though I mean this happened when I was 16 but now like there is a better there's a bigger move towards more inclusivity uh, which I'm excited about because, I mean, I, I still work in the modeling industry and there are plenty of brands who still want to hire me, even though I'm not typical model model. No, I just find this interesting at, at many levels, Q, because I, I just want us to reflect on, on you specifically mm -hmm. and the fact that you grew up in, in an inclusive, accepting, non-judgmental household where there were no comments uh, either you know in, in terms of critical comments mm -hmm. on the way you looked yeah. and and for those of us who would who would see your photograph um because obviously this is a podcast and we're hearing you rather than seeing mm -hmm. you but for those of us who don't know what Q looks like uh, she is sri lankan she is dark-skinned and she has what you would call afro hair would, would yes you, would you correct me on that yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. you know it's wild it's frizzy it's out there mm -hmm. and, and it, that's who you are yeah. um and of course, so, so, you know, this is what we have to put into context for this conversation. But what I particularly loved is the fact that because of how you were brought up, so this is what our unconscious bias is about. This is our narrative. You were brought up in an inclusive, accepting, non-judgmental home. Mm -hmm. So you had a very good sense of self-confidence and no insecurities about the color of your skin or the, the, the straightness or lack of in terms of your hair or yeah. your features or, or your body or any aspect yeah. of, of your of you how you looked. Yeah. And so when someone says to you age 16, and 16 yeah. for us listeners, the world over, 16-year-old girls, a lot of girls go through so many different kinds of insecurities about body image and what do I look like and so on. And here is this 16-year-old girl in Sri Lanka saying, 
Oh great! I'm invited for this pot for this uh, 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 this gig, uh, modeling gig. Great! I'm gonna go, and you go with wonderful confidence. Yeah. And that says something extremely powerful about mm -hmm. your unconscious biases, and yeah. about how you were parented. Because yeah. if it had been different. And if your parents were saying to you, oh, poor Q, look at the color of his skin. Oh, no, let's go and try and straighten the hair out or whatever. Yeah. Thinking, you know. And then this white British um, advertising executive said, would you please, uh, you know, uh, kind of co compete for, for this modeling gig? You would have been horrified and you would have thought, mm -hmm. I can't go for that. And yeah. you therefore wouldn't have got the gig. Yeah, so yeah. what am I trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is, that because of your self-belief, you got the modeling gig. Yeah, definitely. Whereas if you went for the same uh, 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 gig, but you questioned how people look at you, how you held yourself, how you performed, how you were seen, it isn't just about looks, as you correctly said, because yes, your looks are important for modeling, but it's also because it's a, it's a, it's a moving image, it's an ad, uh, it's also about some level of acting. Yes, and yes, you, exactly. might, you might have held your body differently and you more likely wouldn't have got the gig. I feel like, you know, in a way, I, I felt like I was also being like slightly ignorant of the entire world because obviously my parents have brought me up in this very loving environment and I credit them, you know, for giving me so much confidence that I can actually go out into the world and do what I want to if I work hard for it. I guess it also like instilled like a sense of ignorance, like, you know, I'm not, I, uh, for like, you know, so one example is like, you know, I went to university and I come from Sri Lanka, everybody around me is brown, okay, and we have like, we, we don't have like such a firm grasp of like race in general. I mean, yes, we're aware of racism, but it's not as overt, you know, everybody's brown around you. It, it doesn't come up in conversation. But the minute you move to a British university into a department, I was in the drama and English department, and the drama department had, let's say, about 10 people of colour, perhaps, then suddenly it sinks in and you're like, oh, I'm not on exactly equal footing here. I'm not the majority, should I say. I'm not the majority anymore. I'm actually definitely in the minority. The, it, it's so funny how the levels really change. And I remember just like so many, not so many people, but just, yeah, a couple of people just saying, oh, when we were having conversations, oh, you speak English so well. And I, internally I'm like, well, yeah, of course I do. Uh, of course, I speak English as well. I mean, we were, you know, a British colony for so long, and I, you know, I, I went to an international school, and you know, we are, you know, taught English alongside, you know, Sinhala and Tamil as well in other schools. Um, so it was just baffling, I think, to me to really come into this whole new environment and experience. A, a, like a whole other world and you know I I was naive actually really uh, it only took like going to university to truly understand those it's, it's a bigger world out there and I have so much more to understand about race about sexuality about gender about unconscious bias <laughs> so. but I think I think I'm just questioning though Q um, is it naivety or is it a, a sense of because to me, it's connected to what you were saying earlier on, which is about your self-belief. And it was, it's about the psychology of us yeah. human beings. And the fact is that if you have, and I'm going to choose to use your word, 
if you have the naivety that I'm okay, and I have therefore that self-belief that I'm okay, the chances are that you are actually going to be more successful in whatever you choose to do than if you do not have that naivety slash self-belief. And constantly question how people say or do something to you. So that's another side of the coin. I'm just throwing it back at you. No, I'm I'm actually like in complete agreement with you. And I think I learned this a lot like from my father as well, who is like, um, yeah, you know, like multi-hyphenate really. He works in like so many different areas and has gone into so many different areas. And he's gone into it with like such utter confidence also as well. It's it's amazing. And so far as a child, I sort of looking up to him, I was like, okay, I can actually do anything I want to. And it is because they've instilled in me like this confidence. I feel confidence in general has helped me in so many areas in my life, not just with the modeling, but, you know, with music and with acting. Uh, I mean, I I picked up another job last year and that's like writing and marketing, you know, for a literary editor. And it honestly is... you know, you may hardly know about any of these topics, but if you can go into it, you know, with like a can-do attitude and with that sort of confidence, like, yeah, you know what, I can nail this, I really can, then, yeah, you will. It is all, it's about like mental psychology, really, even when it comes to singing songs, like my singing teacher says, if it's, um, if you can sing the song and like hit those high notes, thinking, yes, I am going to hit that high note, you will hit the high note. You know, I'm, I, it's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy if you keep thinking, oh, God, oh, God, that, that note is coming up. I'm not going to be able to hit it at all. And it just falls flat. Why? I, because I, you're I, thinking I'm nodding in agreement. And you are right. And I said to you, I can't sing. And I, and I sing like a beast. But, of course, it isn't about can't. It is very much about it's, it's whether, about whether you want to. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, your motivation, exactly. So so tell us more, Q. Give us some more stories of your, your experiences and unconscious biases. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, my, I mean, I think definitely it would be helpful, I guess, to start start examining my own unconscious bias towards like other um, people because I mean, I say all of this, I really do, but I still have like a long way to go when it comes to examining my own unconscious bias to like other people too, and patriarchal attitudes. Um, so I mean, I'll, I'll just give you a, a brief example. Like a couple of days ago, uh, I was reading my friend's book. Um, she's a very talented writer and the protagonist you have no idea what their gender is for the first chapter at all all you know is that they're in the army in a high position of power their attention to detail when carrying out campaigns is amazing they're they are a general um they're assertive and for some reason i just i assumed it was a guy I was like, yeah it's totally a guy and it was only at the end of the chapter when um, a volunteer like says to the protagonist oh ma'am could you pass me that please then i'm like oh wait what what? <laughs> I was like, oh God. And like, I talked to my friend about it and she was like, yeah, I did that on purpose. Uh, and I was like, I can see why now because I was, I was shocked. I was like, and then the second thought is, why did you immediately assume? Why did you, you know, see those characteristics and correspond them with that of a man? basically, this uh, sort of masculine traits. I was like, why? And this is so funny because for me, my music is so much about, you know, breaking down this narrative, you know, around women, whether it be the very strong, fierce girl narrative or the very weak, subservient narrative. My uh, 
so my yeah so as you might have said in the introduction hysteria my debut it came out in april and a lot of it was you know taking a look at like female sexuality independence um self-doubt because i wanted to show that women are a spectrum of things we're not just at black and white as i think a lot of people might assume so and especially in media, which doesn't really allow for a lot of um, a lot uh, what's the word a lot of spectrum of sort of emotion and mood to be shown. I definitely feel like you know you get in in media you get your Wonder Women or you get very meek, very subservient sort of stereotype, and I think that's kind of digging a hole. We're kind of just we're burying ourselves back into that two-dimensional stereotype. We don't have that opportunity to like sort of thrive and be a bit more than that. Um, so yeah, that was that's a lot of what, I guess what my what this particular EP as a concept uh, that I wanted to kind of explore. Um, that's just so. That's I mean, uh, just to come to 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 respond to the first part of what you were yeah. saying, which is the idea of words and language mm -hmm. uh, and. Um, the fact that, and, and you're not alone here, Gu, so don't berate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, when we hear, when we hear the description of another person and say, I met so-and-so, and they were just so lovely, they were so kind, so gentle, such good listeners, they were so empathetic, mm -hmm. the chances are instinctively, unconsciously, you're thinking woman. And then when you mm -hmm. say, we met so-and-so, and you don't even need to get a profession, we just give them emotions. Uh, and you may, you say you met so-and-so and they were so strong and assertive and focused and strategic or, or words like that. And of course, instinctively, uh, uh, um, people start thinking, man, and yes. that's the world over. So, you, you know, don't berate yourself on that at all. But mm. just to come back about, you know, to your EP. So was there any particular uh, uh, something that happened that made you want to write this EP? What was influencing you? to write about the multi-nuances of what we, you and I are calling woman or woman or dog. Well, you know, I didn't, it, this EP, I started writing for it about four years ago and it didn't actually have a concept right at the beginning. I was just writing all about my personal experiences of being, you know, in my early twenties and sort of just going like, going through the motions, you know, trying to figure out my life, trying to figure out my sexuality and trying to be like sort of independent, you know, in this sort of patriarchal kind of, scenario that you know was happening like in Sri Lanka and I was and the thing is actually what kind of also sparked it off was I was in my brother's short film The Red Mustang uh, yeah, so for, for listeners who are tuning in my my brother Rahan Mudanak is a film director and he was also in Funny Boy um, and The Red Mustang was very much about a high-powered CEO who um, you know interviews this young candidate, uh, this woman for like one of the jobs, but it kind of turns into something a bit more sinister and, and dark and grueling. And um, I don't want to like sort of give so much of the plot away, but it made me start, the, how I played the character was how I wanted, I think also women to be perceived as, you know, not just as fierce and not just as weak, but as something quite different to what you would really suspect you know somebody with complex emotions somebody who can be like very angry in the morning and very sweet and you know wonderful in the evening and just it's about 
really hitting the nail on the head about what women are like and thing is I can't speak for all women and I don't I don't want to but I can speak for my own self that I am a bit of a weird complex creature that is very emotional and very sensitive to things and so for the past couple of years I've just been going through all of those emotions and thinking well I should just really put this all down in an EP because these are all my lived experiences and maybe just maybe if a girl is listening to it they might be a bit more comfortable sort of with themselves you know and think to themselves oh you know what I don't need to be just this and I don't need to be just that. I can be all of this. I'm not, I don't want people to like hurt others or anything like that through, you know, what I'm saying. But if you can come to that sort of point where you're at peace with all of these different personalities that you kind of have, I think it's a, it's a better way to live, honestly. You're, yes, yeah, live more honestly. No, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's wonderful that you in your 20s with your music is trying to and to empower other young women of any age, it could be 16, could be 10, and to appreciate as they're growing into themselves that we are, we are multidimensional, we are, we are nuanced. I mean, human beings, man, mm -hmm. woman, we're both nuanced, but the West and Sri Lanka and many parts of the world are, it still continues to be quite patriarchal. So it's about giving ourselves ownership. That's what you're saying, which, yes. which I think is very, very important. Because it is, if you give yourself ownership and don't feel lesser than, only then can you grow as a human being. And I also found it very interesting that you called your EP Hysteria. Yes. I'm not sure whether you know, but in 2017, <laughs> in 2017, a senator then, Kamala Harris, who now the whole world knows as yeah. Vice President of the United States, was chairing a Select Affairs Committee hearing. And she was questioning somebody more than once. Mm -hmm. But at mm -hmm. some point, her two male colleagues say to her, why are you being so hysterical? Oh, my God. And <laughs> I found that exactly, it's better to laugh. I found that really interesting because I've seen it and I didn't find her in, remotely hysterical. But you've obviously oh, deliberately God. challenged our unconscious bias mm -hmm. by choosing a word as hysteria. Because are yes. we hysterical as women? What is that about? Or have, am I putting too much meaning into that title of your EP? No, no, not at all. It was very deliberate. So, I mean, my, my, my fascination for hysteria as a word, like, came just from all the research I was kind of doing about it. So, I mean, back in the old days, shall we say, um, doctors and philosophers and psychoanalysts, they defined hysteria as, like, a mental disorder and a disease that was ex that exclusively affected women who were, like, prone to melancholia, who, like, sort of broke away from their normal functions, you know, like marriage and giving birth and raising children. So breaking away from this mold and displaying any other emotion other than like what was acceptable could get you committed basically to an asylum. And I was like, what, what, why? So basically, if you were just getting angry about like what was happening in your life, you know, your husband wasn't doing enough at home or wasn't paying attention. And it could feel something as simple as like showing that level of emotion could be detrimental, basically, to your entire life. And it's also twofold. I'm, I'm being tongue in cheek about it. I chose that um, <laughs> that title on purpose because I was like, but you know what, I am a very sensitive and a very emotional person too. And I, 
am I just being hysterical or are these just plain human emotions? Am I still like sort of bound by that, 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 that sort of narrative that has been put up on my, put on my head for the past, I don't know, you know, head, my head and other women's heads for like the past, I don't know, centuries. Because this dates back to like Plato, literally dates back to Plato. There are like mentions of hysteria in his stuff as well. Uh, yeah, it's tongue in cheek. I'm like, am I just being hysterical? Are these just plain human emotions? So, and you know, I, I show a spectrum of moods on my EP. Uh, and I, I, I don't know whether I'm like challenging it technically, but I'm talking about it. Well, I'm I think like, if nothing else, you're quite, you know, just poking us very gently, all of us listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're thinking, yeah. oh, a that's interesting. A gentle, and I a think that's the important yeah. thing. Yes, a gentle poke. And I think that's important. <laughs> but then tell me, Q, because, you know, as you said, all of us, you and me included, we're always continuing to, to challenge our unconscious biases. So how do you manage? How, do you have any tricks? What do you do on a daily basis? Tricks? Um, so Perhaps you don't. No, no. I, I'm, I'm quite eager i'm somebody who likes to reflect a lot on things and i'm always trying to be in that process of growing and being trying to be a better person in general sorry sound like such a martin like such a like i'm pontificating but i really do feel I, I believe in the process of trying to better yourself and evolve as a human being so i think one thing that has really helped me is that the second thought or uh, it is the one that matters the most. You can have that first thought and it may be very, could be racist, it could be sexist, it could be, you know, as, as you say, uncon unconsciously biased. But it's the second, th second thought that comes up that kind of matters the most. Um, not to get like too deep with you or anything. So, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was, uh, I was doing cognitive behavioral therapy to like assist, you know, with depression and anxiety. And I find that sort of method uh, that my psychologist and I had like a chat about really helped. In this scenario, sort of, you take a look at the feelings and you take a look at the thoughts uh, and then you sort of, you rate it, you sort of weigh up the evidence. Like, is it, is there evidence for this thought? Is there evidence against this thought? And then you look at the thought again and like, weigh it up like how true was it in the end and I think it's something that I can definitely sort of um, transplant into how you sort of deal with unconscious bias you have that thought that okay this person is totally weird for saying something like that or totally I don't know whatever you you sort of ascribe like a certain bias towards a certain person and you sort of then wait up, you try to see, is, what, was there evidence in what I was saying? What is like the evidence against that? Uh, so it's a constant like editing really that kind of is going on in your brain. And it's very exhausting, I think sometimes, but it's work that is needed to sort of break down that narrative that you may have held in your brain. Uh, I think every, I'm not perfect, but I think we can all strive to try and be better in our, uh, interactions with other human beings. I, I think that's yes. absolutely brilliant, Q. And I, and I think all of us would are really appreciative um, because you've taken something that you learned under cognitive behavioral therapy, but you've transposed it because you realize the, the value of your mm -hmm. second thought. It's a simple, simple exercise. The second thought exercise, we should all try and practice it. So, um, you know, thank you for that thoughtful uh, uh, bit of advice to all of us as well as to yourself uh, um, yeah. that we can all practice 
So all the very best, you for, for oh. your continuation of music. I'm wondering when the next album will be out. And oh, what don't worry, I am called? as well. <laughs> uh, and what will that be called, I wonder? And perhaps God. I'll see you in a, in a film or maybe I'll see you in a, in a modeling gig. Who knows? Who but knows? all the very best. And thank you so much for sharing your stories of thank unconscious you. bias with me. Uh, thank you so much. It's an honor to be on this podcast. It really is. And thank you. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please do share with someone. That's the best promotion the podcast can have. The more we hear these amazing and brave stories from speakers around the world, the more we can learn about this important subject of unconscious bias. I'm Smitha Tharoor. See you next week.